Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepys, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Michael Schill, the president of the University of Oregon. Mike, this is the fourth time we've had this conversation at the beginning of each year. Welcome back and Thank welcome you. to UO Today. I still think some people think, uh, you know, that it's an accident that I'm still here after four years, but. Uh. <laughs> so um, since this is the beginning of your fourth year, let's first talk about accomplishments over the past year that you're especially proud of. So I think you know, there's a number of things that I'm really pleased about. One is uh, that uh, we broke ground on the Knight campus. We hired a great director from Georgia Tech who's going to be the, the director of the Knight campus. His name's Bob Goldberg. Uh, we are starting to um, hire faculty. So that big thing is that that vision is, is now coming into uh, reality. And that's, I think, enormously exciting. I think you know another thing that we we did over the past year was really get our act together with regard to student success. As you might remember, when I was hired, uh, I gave a speech uh, in which I said that we really want to be focused on timely graduation for our students. And what we've been able to do over the past year with Andrew uh, Marcus as well as other folks is to be able to put that vision of really focusing on great advising, not just great academic advising, but great career advising, put it together. We made a commitment to hire 25 new advisors, and we're gonna put them all in the newly built Tyson Hall, which is coming online next year. So that all of those things are sort of in line, and I really believe we're gonna make a major move uh, toward helping our students graduate on time which of course is also going to reduce the cost of education for them. And then you know, the other thing that we've done, which we've been doing over a number of years uh, since I've been president, is increasing the, our tenure and tenure track faculty. Uh, and now we're up about, I think, 62 net new faculty uh, over the past four years. And you know, that, that, that is the core of our university. And we've, we've made some great hires all the way through the university, um, and it, they're already enriching our research, enriching our teaching, and so that was just another thing that I was really pleased to see happen. So let me ask you a, a, a quick follow-up. You said that the this new um, focus on student success will lower the cost of education for the students. Explain that. Because uh, what we see is, oh, when I became president, only 48% of our students were graduating in four years. Uh, if you take longer than four years, what's going to happen is, number one, your costs are gonna go up because each year you're here, there's mandatory fees, you have tuition, but even more importantly, you're not gonna be getting a job with a degree, so you're not gonna be able to earn incomes based upon the fact that, that you have a college degree. So the, the quicker we can get our students out in terms of to graduate, in, which is four years, uh, the and, and establishing that norm of four years, uh, the cheaper education is going to be for them, and we've already made significant progress. The last time I looked, our graduate four-year graduation rate had gone from 48 percent uh, to 56 percent. Now these, this bounces around a little bit, uh, but I'm really pleased with that, and uh, we need to make more progress. Our six-year graduation rate is over 73, 74 percent but uh, the better we can do there. And the other problem with um, a low four-year graduation rate is the, 
the students who get in the most trouble with regard to debt are not the students who graduate in four years or even six years, as long as they graduate. The ones who get in the most trouble are the students who end up taking on debt not graduating because then they have the debt and no way to repay the debt. And so we, we really want our students to graduate. We want our students to understand in order to graduate on time, they need to take 15 credits per quarter. And that message, I think, is out there. So I think we've changed the culture. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the Tyson Center's um, Tyson Hall. Um, do you have an ETA on its completion? Do you have any idea? Yeah, we're hoping uh, that the CAS uh, dean and, and the or the interim dean for CAS and, and the staff move in uh, over the summer of, of this coming summer. Uh, so about 10 months from now, 11 months from now, and the advisors move in and it will be ready for students, we hope, uh, for the next school year. And during that period, we're going to be hiring lots of new advisors. Because one of the things that was most exciting to me about the vision that Andrew had for the Tyson building was understanding that students who are going to pick a major, going to pick courses, frequently also want to be think or should be thinking about their careers at the same time. These decisions are not divorced from each other. We want students to take a liberal education. That's what the University of Oregon is all about. But we also want them to have in mind their end goals. And so we develop both of those together. So that's what we're going to be doing. Each advisor in Tykeson is going to be cross-trained to both provide academic advice and also career advice. And you think that's pretty obvious. You think that most, most schools do it. It's actually pretty unique. Yeah. And so it's a wonderful vision. Uh, and I'm just excited to be part of it and to help facilitate it. So you've mentioned Andrew Marcus a couple of times, and as you mentioned, he is, uh, he's recently announced that he's stepping down at the end of December. Can you say something about, is there anything you can tell us about the plans to find his uh, successor? Sure, so by the time that this is aired, the, the interim dean uh, will, be, will be named, and uh, we are, we've done a lot of consultation. The, the provost has been the person who has done most of the work uh, in terms of going to meet with all the department heads in CAS, the what are called the wise heads, uh, the senators from CAS, and a number of other, all the deans. Um, and uh, I think that the interim dean is going to be a terrific person, is a terrific person, and will carry on Andrew's vision, and uh, will get us into a really good place in terms of uh, when we go out and look for a permanent dean. Um, so let's go back and talk a little bit more about the Knight Campus. You, you told us about the progress that's been made. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the um, sort of core programs that are going to be there? I'm in particular, I'm interested in the Interdisciplinary Data Science Initiative. Can you tell us about that? Right, so the Data Science Initiative is actually separate from the Knight Campus, but it exists, it coexists, and it obviously will strengthen the Knight Campus. And that is uh, a so data science is obviously data is all around us. Uh, many universities are creating data science programs. We do not have one at the moment. And what, what, what I had heard repeatedly is that for our faculty, in a broad range of disciplines, whether it be the humanities, whether it be geography, whether it be the sciences, uh, with social sciences, business, that they cannot do the work that they want to do without colleagues 
who are really well-versed at looking at large agglomerations of data. So one of the things that we've done is we have built our infrastructure up, but we have high-speed, high-performance computing. We now have links that get data out very, very quickly, state-of-the-art, and now we're gonna hire faculty. And so over the next two years, three years, uh, Bill Cresco, who's in charge of this, is going to be thinking about, going to be helping with searches, ranging again from digital humanities to geography to business analytics to genomics, uh, computational genomics. So it's just, it's a very exciting initiative that will help every part of the university as we move forward. It will also help the Knight Campus because what we know is that a lot of science and applied science is based upon data and data analysis. And so the Knight Campus is, uh, you know, right now getting ready to make their first hires. They may do a, a data science person mm -hmm. in the Knight Campus, but what they're doing is they're meeting, they're creating a strategic plan, they're working with um, all sorts of communities around uh, the university to develop uh, uh, what sort of a faculty they want, what five or six areas in the first phase of the Knight Campus they want to move forward. It'll be in all likelihood life sciences, mm -hmm. but uh, where you go depends on um, you know where we think we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And we're developing really close relationship with OHSU, um, and I'm really excited. Bob Goldberg is an amazing scientist and is hitting the ground running. So it, it's, it's a big, big moment for the University of Oregon. And you know, I, I should say, it is, there's a, there is a rumor in, in some parts of the university that the focus on the Knight Campus is gonna take resources away from other parts of the university. You know, that is really entirely wrong. All of the activities of the Knight Campus are supported by the gift, and so it is. If it's always a positive, and actually will probably end up returning resources to other parts of the university through interdisciplinary programs. So, for example, one program I was talking about with Bob Goldberg recently was an artist in residence program at the Knight Campus. That's a cool idea, mm -hmm. um, but there is no. It's not a zero sum game with the Knight Campus. Very important. So. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the institutional hiring plan. Mm -hmm. So remind us first what that is, and then the second question is, what are the priorities that the 2018-19 plan addresses? So the institutional hiring plan is a new way for us to be hiring faculty. It is basically what it's saying is we, about two years ago, we realized that for many of the departments, it was very difficult for them to take on the risk of the retirement uh, plan and health costs as well as a collective bargaining that the department heads and the deans didn't control those expenses. So what we did was we took on the payment of all tenure and tenure track faculty. What we also did is said, well, if we're gonna be paying for everybody, we're gonna have a role in who gets hired in the sense of being able to sort of say, are the people going to the areas on campus where there's a need for tenure, tenure, tenure track faculty. And that's either in areas where students are taking courses, where the course, where the requirements are, are bigger for student enrollment, 
or it's areas that we want the that the university wants to grow strategically areas of scholarship areas of research areas of teaching new initiatives like the data science initiative so what we did is every year what happens is the department heads meet with their faculty they propose hires the dean then makes a proposal based on that doesn't accept everything makes a proposal to the provost the provost then vets it with all of the deans uh, and vets the, the various hires, uh, proposed hires with a faculty committee of senior faculty and then announces a plan in which he then sets forth, here's what the searches are gonna be. So it isn't one of these top-down sort of thing. It actually comes from the bottom up from the departments. And uh, this year, I believe there's gonna be something like 60 searches and um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, we've been very happy with it so far. It's only the second year. I think some of the hiring that's gonna be in this are gonna be Night Campus, the data initiative, and then just a wide variety. So there's, uh, Musicology has one, uh, I believe Geography has one, uh, Law, so you know, it, business has number. Business is gonna be a priority because they, they have the need for additional faculty partly due to increased enrollments. So every year it will be something different. And, uh, but what it will be is strategic hiring. It won't be sort of a sleep at the switch hiring that just because someone retires in an area, we're gonna try to self-replicate. That's a problem with higher education. And we're not gonna be doing that at the University of Oregon. Um, so tell us a little bit about the most recent um, administrative hires, the new deans and stuff that you've hired? So it seems like all I've been doing is hiring deans since I've gotten here. I think every year we've talked about that. Yes, and, and now actually all of the deans are new except for Randy Camphouse at the College of Education. So we've really had a tremendous turnover in our deans and uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think that that, that that can be understood by the fact that we've also had tremendous turnover in our administration and the school is moving very forcefully into the future. So we've hired four new, three new deans and a vice provost this year. Um, they're all showing up right now, they're all here. Uh, the first is Sabrina Madison Cannon, who is the uh, dean of the School of Music and Dance. And Sabrina's really interesting because she's a, she's a professor of dance rather than a professor of music. First one, I believe, in the School of Music and Dance and has hit the ground running or dancing or whatever you want to say. Uh, Janet Woodruff Borden, who is the dean of the Graduate College, uh, also uh, just got here, she's a psychologist. Uh, Gabe Paquette, who is a historian, who is dean of the Clark Honors College. And Carol Gehring, who is a vice provost for online education. And this has been something that I've been wanting us to move forward with is online education, not for the reasons that some schools move forward with online education. We're not doing it primarily for revenue generation, although if we did have some revenue generation, I wouldn't turn it away. But what we really want is online education to help us with student success, help us create opportunities for students. Let's say you didn't do well in a class in your first quarter, and so you've missed something in a sequence. Instead of waiting a year, and all of a sudden now being a five-year graduation, what we want you to be able to do is pick up that class online. 
So we're going to be looking at which courses to put online based upon very strategically focusing on student success. We'll also do online education with regard to graduate master's degrees. Um, so I'm excited about that. And she comes to us from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, where she's done a lot of this. So um, I'm going to relocate you to Portland now. Portland. And let's talk a little bit about U.S. presence in Portland. How is that evolving, and what are the sort of what are the strategic visions for the Portland campus? So we have a strategic plan for the University of Oregon in Portland. We want to be with something like 47,000 of our alumni are in Portland, so that's about one fifth of our alumni who are living. And uh, we want to do programs for them. We want to be relevant in their lives, but we also want to use Portland for the education of our students. So right now, it's mostly about graduate students. And, and I think that's where the, the focus will be. Business School has a very big program up there, a great program in sports product management, but also um, continuing education and professional education. Uh, we also part-time program. We also have um, the law school has a program uh, there for students who want to spend a year in Portland and work at some of the legal jobs that you can only find in a big city. Uh, journalism has a couple great programs. Uh, architecture has lots of programs up there and would like to have even more. Uh, so there's lots of opportunity in Portland for academic programs. And then there's all sorts of research programs. Um, so for example, we have a, um, our partnership with OHSU is growing stronger and stronger by the day. And ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if you find some of our faculty spending several days a week in Portland, and actually some of their faculty coming down, spending time in, in, in um, Eugene. And that's what we want. Um, and we're coming up with ideas to facilitate uh, both housing there, but also, more importantly, uh, transportation back and forth. Mm -hmm. So I also know that there is a new classroom and faculty office building in the works. Um, what will what will be in there, and um, what's the status of that project? So that is, so we're going to do, we want to grow the student body at the University of Oregon, but unlike the last time we grew the, the student body, we actually want to plan ahead. And uh, what we're doing is we're going to build facilities. Right now, we have space for, I don't know, about 1,000 to 1,500 students to comfortably fit in over where we were at the end of last year. But then ultimately, we're going to need to plan ahead. And we're not going to do an, we're going to probably grow by 2,000, 3,000 total students. So we're planning a new building. Uh, it's going to be, we think, we have a group looking at that, um, either Mac Court uh, or Collier House location. We would move Collier House or part of the PLC lot. And so right now we're looking at the various options for that. It's likely to be a state-of-the-art classroom and faculty office building. And what we think is we're going to, uh, the theme of the building will be to bring together our environmental programs and sustainability programs. So we have an identity uh, of um, environmentalism because this school, as you know, I mean, we, we sort of eat, drink, breathe, wear green. Um, and so why not have a building that's identified as green? Um, on October 12th, the ground will be broken on the new Black Cultural Center. Remind us of the background on the BCC 
and um, about the significance of the new building. So I'm super excited about this uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, so it was my first year, I think I'd been president for all of like two or three months, we had a protest uh, and a group of students, black student task force, came in and gave me a list of demands and one of the demands was they wanted a black cultural center and you know I didn't do everything on the list but we did a lot of the things on the list just because they were the right thing to do and the Black Cultural Center is one of those things that's just the right thing to do. Uh, the number of black students on campus is, is relatively small. We're trying to get more diverse every day, but the number is small. And so the Black Cultural Center is going to be a new building that's gonna go up, and it's going to be both a place of, of respite, a place where the, the groups can be together, um, but also, it's going to be a place, and, and this is one of the things I'm most impressed with the students, because they've been active since day one in planning it. It's gonna be a place that's gonna be really focused on student success. So they don't just want you know parties there, they don't just want televisions and couches. They wanna actually have both advising, tutoring, programs, community programs to bring people in. They want something that will help them become graduates of the university and go on and have great careers. And I'm just delighted to be able to support that. We've raised about $1.7 million. Total amount's gonna be about 2.2. We want to endow um, some money for operations. So we're just, we're, we're gonna break ground in October. Um, this year marks the 10th anniversary of Pathway Oregon. So what's significant about that program and what impacts has it had for Oregonians? So I think Pathway Oregon is a terrific program. I, I fell in love with it. I have only one regret that I didn't create it. <laughs> it, it, it. it, it came before I, I became president, but it is, it's fabulous. We, it, what it does is it says to any low-income Pell eligible student uh, from Oregon who comes in as a freshman with a GPA of 3.4 and above from their high school, we'll pay everything other than your Pell Grant um, for, and you'll have basically free tuition and free fees. You'll still have to pay your housing and your food, but um, you know, it's a tremendous deal. And, and it will, it's a great program. It is funded by philanthropy, but it's also funded by operating resources. And this is our 10th anniversary. Over 5,000 students have come through Pathway Oregon. And one thing that's important that I sometimes, because I talk about all the financial aspects, it is wraparound advising. And it's what we want for all of our students and what we will get for all of our students. But Pathway Oregon has a ratio of students to advisors of about 300 to one. That's where we're hoping we're gonna get in Tyson for all of our first and second year students, something like 300 to 350 to one. Because it's so important, I mean, I'm first generation student, I came, came into college, I didn't know everything, what I'm supposed to do, and it's an, odd, you know, it's, it's an unusual place. You do need some extra advice to wend your way through. And it's much more complicated today when everybody is majoring, minoring, minoring, certificating. The world of, of colleges is much more difficult than what it was when I was a student. So speaking of the fact that you're a first generation student, I know that the Board of Trustees recently renewed your contract, which includes a performance-based bonus, and you've decided to donate that entire bonus to a scholarship fund. Tell us about that scholarship fund. Yeah, so um, as, as you may know, my mom passed away about a year and a half ago, and my mom and my dad were very, neither of them went to college, 
and they were always very intent that I do go to college. And my mom really made me understand as I was growing up that I could do anything and I could, you know, compete head to head with the students at Princeton. And uh, I wanted to do something to honor her memory. And the board thought that I, the work that I've done here over the past, you know, two, three years has merited a performance bonus. And so I thought that what I would do is donate that back to the school uh, to support a scholarship, uh, scholarship fund each year will have student, a student or students who will get a scholarship who is a first generation student. And I'm really, really excited about that. And I should say that this emphasis on scholarships, one of the, is, is very important because one of the worst kept secrets uh, here is that we're going to extend our campaign. Um, we're going to probably add another billion dollars onto our campaign. One of the big um, priorities for this campaign extension is going to be need-based scholarships, Pathway Oregon, other scholarships, and also student success. We want to really focus like a laser beam on how we can help our students, particularly our low-income students, our students of color, graduate, graduate on time, and go off and have great careers. So we're coming towards the end of our time. Um, what experience from the past year was your most memorable one? So, you know, I think that there's memorable good and memorable bad, just like <laughs> if I had asked you. I would say probably on the memorable bad side was when I got interrupted when I was giving my speech at the State of the City address, and because I, I think it sort of set the tone for uh, the year. Um, and I think what happened here is similar to what happened at many other universities. And, you know, I think that it created some difficult moments, both for me and for some students. And I, I think it also uh, set the stage for some good things, which is an analysis and really thinking about freedom of speech on campus. It was a way for me to learn more about what some of our students felt, but it's also a way for some of them to learn more about the values of freedom of speech. So that's on the memorable, not so good, leading to something good, uh, hopefully. And on the memorable good is, you know, I, it's almost like last weekend. So uh, last weekend I had a barbecue for about 60 students um, and I had them over and it was so much fun. And, and they're so impressive. And these students love the University of Oregon. And I have to say, the students I frequently come into contact with are frequently because of nature of my role, they're coming to me with a complaint about something or something that isn't going well. It's just really wonderful. And that's really important to be open to those complaints. That's how you get better. But it's also wonderful to know that the vast majority of students here love this place to pieces. They think they're getting a great education. They're making lifelong friends. They're maturing. And it's great for me to see them every now and then. And what it's made me understand is I need to get out more often. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. So we have 30 seconds left. My last question. I know that you're a very enthusiastic reader. Have you read anything recently that you would recommend? So, yeah. So, and, and this doesn't mean I love the book, but it, it, I would recommend because it's going to be an important book. One book that I've, rec uh, that I've read is, uh, well, I read a book called The Gatekeepers, which is about chiefs of staff for presidents, not university presidents, but presidents. It's a, it's a political science book, really interesting book. Uh, second book is a little more controversial. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. I'm sure you probably 
uh, have read it or read articles about it. It's by a psychologist uh, at NYU and the head of FIRE, the First Amendment organization. And it's about our students, and not necessarily University of Oregon students, but college students. And I think it's an important book. Again, I don't agree with everything in there, but an important book. And then I just picked up Doris Kern's new book uh, about leadership among uh, uh, you know, Abe Lincoln, the two Roosevelts, and um, Johnson. And I think that's gonna be an interesting read sitting on my bed right now. I read the first 10 pages. Well, Mike, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Good luck this year, and we'll see you in a year. Thank you, I look forward to it. <laughs> I've been speaking with Michael Schill, the president of the University of Oregon. Thanks for watching.